This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So I spent a few days in the real world this past week. Um, do we have some pictures, maybe a few pictures here to show of the real world? Yeah. See, now that's the real world. Sunset off of my back porch in the real world. Mm -hmm, That's from the boat. Pretty peaceful, huh? Yeah. Oh, that one's supposed to be on there, so sorry about that. So it's just, um, yeah, a few scenes of what I have called the real world now. And um, I kind of got that from Don McIntyre, who's a good friend that is the director of Wind River Ranch in Colorado, where Maddie and JC have worked for the last couple months and where Tracy and I have been for a few uh, experiences over the last few years in the mountains at the at the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park and it's just a gorgeous environment beautiful place and and so Don said one time he said now some of y'all think that you've come out here for a vacation for escape but then at the end of it you have to go back to the real world he said actually it's the opposite of that He said, here you're in the real world. And when you leave here, you go back to the false world. And that locked in with me. And so when I go to places like that or places like this, which is St. George Island, Florida, um, I consider myself to be in the real world. Now, the reason for that is because there are some characteristics of the real world that still exist in places like this. And there are some characteristics in what we have labeled as the real world, which is coming back home, going back to work, you know, dealing with the city, dealing with traffic, dealing with all this stuff, uh, that are actually not designed to be part of the real world. Because when I say real world, I'm talking about the world that God created for us to live in. That's the real world. That's the world that he intended for Eve and Adam when he created the garden for them, but his intention never changes. See, that's one thing we need to always know about God is that his intentions never change. They're always the same. So it was his intention then that the real world have certain characteristics, and it's still his intention today. So some of those characteristics are the characteristic of beauty, which you can see from the pictures exists in the real world that I was in last week. And it exists in Wind River Ranch in Colorado where you see Long's Peak in front of you. It's 17,000 foot mountain peak rock with snow on the top even in the middle of the summer. And when you have the rivers and you have the aspen groves and you have the elk and you have the mule deer and you have the bears and you have just an, an unbelievably beautiful landscape and environment way different from florida but florida has 
the peace. You have the water. You have the, the, the grasses where you can see the fish going in and out. You can see an alligator tail slip in there once in a while. And you see the trees off in the distance. And you see the Spanish moss. And you, you see the eagles flying by. And you see the terns standing over, perched, you know, praying on, on whatever it is they pray on in, over there. And it's just different from Colorado, but it's still the real world because it contains beauty. Another characteristic is peace. Now, weather can disrupt peace, but if the weather's not acting up, these are places that are very peaceful environments and they create a sense of peace inside the human spirit. That's why we like to go there, right? That's why we like to go on vacation and nobody goes on vacation to the bluff in Atlanta where I work during the week. That's just not where you go on vacation because it's all concrete and the houses are drab and run down and the noise is clanging and clamoring and it's not pleasant and you see a lot of poverty, and you see drug dealers on the street corner, and you see prostitutes on the street corner, and that's not what God intended. Therefore, that qualifies as the false world because it's anti-God. It's, it's, it stands in contrast to what God intends for His people. So beauty and peace, tranquility, um, a certain connection between man and nature. I've never been able to separate out my spirituality from a connection with nature. Now, I don't get weird about it. I don't go out and stand and hug on trees and weep when somebody's about to put a chainsaw on one of them. It's not really that that I'm talking about, but we have to know that there is an intrinsic connection between us and natural creation or we're going to miss a whole big bunch of what life is supposed to be about because yes it is living in harmony in a relationship with God the creator but it also is living in harmony with the rest of natural creation it's supposed to be a great three-part harmony God the Creator, mankind is highest creation, and the rest of natural creation living in harmony. That's God's intention. When it's like that, there is peace, there is beauty, there is tranquility, there is satisfaction. That's why this is the real world. And when we jump back into the mess, that's the false world because the mess is something that we made it's not out of the heart of God. We deal with it every day. We have to live our lives in the world. But Jesus said you are to be in this world, but not of this world. So sometimes we have to live and work in the middle of the mess, but we don't have to be of the mess. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, the mess doesn't dictate who I am. I go to work in the worst neighborhood in the state of Georgia. For every statistic you can name, you know, we could hold up one of those giant foam number one fingers, but it would be for all the wrong reasons. You know, poverty, crime, 
homelessness, high school dropouts, single-parent households, all those bad things. The number of people incarcerated in Georgia's jails and prisons, there are more from our zip code than any other zip code in the state. That's where I go to work every day. I have to be in the mess, but I choose to not be of the mess so that when I go into the neighborhood, I come in not to participate in the darkness or to agree with the darkness or just to throw up my hands and say, there's nothing I can do about the darkness. I come into the neighborhood as a walking, talking light in the darkness. That's what it means to be in it, but not of it. So, the real world stands in contrast to the, the false world or the fake world. The false world is a world that has been messed up by the disobedience of people. Okay, so we can stop uh, pointing the finger at the devil. Yes, the devil does whisper, lie, trick, deceive, manipulate, scheme, throw people off course, but ultimately it is the choices of human beings to, to choose disobedience over obedience to God's words that leads to chaos and destruction and poverty and addiction and all the messes that exist in our world. That's on us. So, so we have a choice before us. We can choose the real world or we can choose the false world. You say, well, Jeff, how can you choose the real world when we're in the middle of the mess? It's because the real world can exist in the middle of the mess. You hearing me? The real world can exist in the middle of the mess. So I can go away for a few days, and you can, and we can enjoy some time off. We can enjoy some time in beautiful, pristine locations like this right here. And it's relaxing, and we can be refreshed in that. But are you aware that we can come back, and that tomorrow morning I can get up, I can get in my vehicle and I can drive to the bluff in Atlanta to go to work and that I can have the same peace, the same satisfaction, the same knowledge of who God is, the same idea that He has a plan for my life and that I have the opportunity to walk in obedience to that plan. I can have the same benefits, kingdom benefits, going to work in Atlanta tomorrow that I had for the past seven days at St. George Island. I'm not going to stop going down there because I love the place. I love the guys that go with me. And I love to catch great big fish. So I'm going to keep going. But this doesn't qualify the peaceful times in my life. Tracy can tell you that sometimes I come home from work and I'm just brain tired. Now, I don't dig ditches for a living. You know, I don't, I don't do strenuous physical labor at work in Atlanta. I do that at home. But up there, it's about 
an exhaustion that settles on the mind and on the spirit from dealing with people all the time and people who have tremendous difficulties in their lives that they expect you to help them with. It can wear you out. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I just flit around all day every day and and nothing ever bothers me and I don't ever get worn out. Oh, absolutely, I get worn out. But let me tell you what I do at night. I lay down and I thank God for the opportunity to walk in the light, in His peace, in His Spirit, and I rest and I sleep and I get up the next morning refreshed and I know that even though I'm going back to the same place and I'm going to get brain tired again, His peace is still going to end up ruling the day and ruling my life. So here's what I think that God is challenging us toward as individuals, as families, and as a community here. I think He's challenging us toward order. Okay, order. Order is kind of a, it's kind of a, a hard word. So it feels a little bit harsh. It feels a little bit stringent. But this kind of order that I'm going to talk with you about is going to create in us the peace that I'm talking to you about. This kind of order is going to create the kind of beauty and the kind of tranquility in our lives that I'm talking to you about. And I really think that it starts with a decision for order. I want God's blessings. How about you? I want God to show up and do cool stuff for me. I want Him to to bless me in all different sorts of ways. But I don't think I've ever qualified His blessings with a real solid commitment to order. I think order shows up here and there, but not in the form of a conscious decision that I'm going to choose order. I think that's what He's calling us to. And it starts with the individual. You have to be prepared to make an individual decision for order. Now we're going to talk about what that looks like shortly. But it starts with the individual because you're not going to be able to lead your family or you're not going to be able to be a vital important part of your family coming into order if you have not made an individual decision for order. But then it does extend out to your family. Now those who have young children, it's particularly appropriate for you and relevant for you. Because parents must be teaching their children and modeling for their children what it means to live a life of order. And we're going to talk about details of what that looks like. And then our community here. So I can get up here and challenge you and declare, we're going to be a community of order. But if you have not chosen that individually, if you have not chosen that for your family, then it's never going to work here, right? So my brother in January every year for many years, he doesn't do it anymore, but Every January for four Sundays, he used to preach on faith, family, fitness, 
and finance. It was a way of setting the stage for how we ought to live throughout the year. Of challenging people with what you're doing in those four areas of your life. Your life of faith, your life of family, your fitness life. And some of us just had to say, what's that? And your finances. And a lot of people, listen, I'm not joking. A lot of people would not come to church in the month of January. Because they knew what was coming. And they didn't want to hear it. Especially on Fitness Sunday, a lot of people just skipped church and went to the Cracker Barrel. I don't know if they went to Cracker Barrel, but they skipped church. Because they, ju they just did not want to hear it. I've told y'all before that once you know, you're accountable for what you know, right? So does anybody need to leave? Because we're about to know a few things. Now, we're not going to get through all this today, but we're going to talk about faith for a minute. And once you know, you're accountable for what you know. I'm not going to preach what he preached exactly, but we are going to deal with some of the principles around order in the various areas of our lives. So for a while here, we talked about prayer. Prayer is a tool that will draw lots of other things in, at least for evaluation in your life. Because if we pray the way the Scripture tells us to pray, inevitably what's going to happen is we're going to be drawn into a room with God where He's going to deal with us about certain things. Prayer is going to open up a conversation between you and God where you can seek His counsel and then He's going to give you His counsel. And once you've received His counsel, then it's, it's your option about what you're going to do with His counsel. Remember the word process? <clears throat> this is all about process. Lord knows I'm first on the list of all human beings of those who wish that we could just cry out to God and ask Him to do phenomenal, miraculous stuff and that He would just do it, bam, and we'd be good to go, but it just doesn't work that way. God gives us a chance to step into His process and then to get up every morning and to continue to take slow, methodical steps in the process, discovering little bits and pieces of who He is, hearing little bits and pieces of what He wants us to know, being, being exposed to a little bit more of a revelation of the ways and the heart and the mind and the opinions of God, day after day after day, a long, slow walk in the same direction. It sounds boring. It does not sound exciting, but it is the way of God and it is the method by which we get into the heart of God so that he can show us who he is, what he wants to do in our lives and establish our purpose and give us the courage to step into it and obey. Process. Prayer opens a conversation that potentially can start a process. That's why prayer is so important. Put up Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. We're going to revisit this. We've looked at it a couple times. 
So the writer says at the end of talking about putting on the full armor of God, this is what he says to conclude it. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Anybody remember rule number one when it comes to praying? Rule number one was what? Throw all the rules out the window. Throw all of the rules out the window. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So where do we have the opportunity to pray? Everywhere. When do we have the opportunity to pray? All the time, anytime. Monica's an attorney. She represents people that are having issues in their lives. And if I was in her shoes, when I stood up before a judge to advocate for a person, I would have prayer on my lips. <laughs> because you're dealing with people's lives. Okay? Susan is, and Lydia, they're in the public education system. If I was dealing with the lives of children day by day, I would have a prayer on my lips pretty much at all times. If I'm in any environment, which almost all of us are who work out in the public workplace, where I have contact with people and potential to influence people, I believe it's a good idea to have a prayer on my lips and in my heart all the time. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and pray in the Spirit. Now I grew up that thinking that that was when you started praying and things got more intense and more wound up until you were praying in another language and certainly that can be part of it. But that's not all that's involved in praying in the Spirit. Listen, how many of you uh, would say, I believe that I am Spirit-filled child of God? Then guess what happens when you open your mouth to pray? You're praying in the Spirit. You're praying by the Spirit. We don't have to wait and expect to go to some deeper level, to some other place for God to hear us because we finally entered into the Spirit. I drove down here in the Spirit this morning. I walked through those doors in the Spirit. I went up to the post office and got the church mail in the Spirit. I can't be a Spirit-filled child of God and do anything outside the Spirit. And if I choose to do something that's rebellious, the Spirit in me is going to deal with me. Pray in the Spirit. The challenge there is not to get to some realm where we finally have gotten in the Spirit and our prayer becomes more intense or more effective. The challenge is actually the reciprocal of that. The challenge is don't listen. I'm, 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 this, is, this is a really powerful and cool lesson right here. The challenge is this. Don't come to God with a 911 emergency 
expecting him to show up and intervene and do what you want him to do according to your plan and purpose when you've been living in disobedience and rebellion up to that point. In other words, don't try to pray effective prayers outside the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Open up that conversation. And always be alert. What does that mean? Again, it means walking through our days, listening, paying attention, observing. And if we do that, you know what's going to happen? God's going to show us something. He's going to allow us to hear something in somebody's life that's going to prompt us to pray. It's going to prompt us to say a word of encouragement to them. I think that way more often than we do, when we're talking with people and they say something to us or they demonstrate some body language or we know something's going on in their life, I think more often than we do, we ought to just grab them by the hand right there and say, can I pray with you? But even if we don't do that, we pray because we're alert. We're paying attention. We are bent on ministering to the needs of other people. I grew up in church. I've heard so many people so often talk about how they want God's blessing. Pray prayers that focused on themselves. Talk about how they need to be fed. Talk about how they need to be ministered to. Talk about how they need to be prayed for. Change churches. Move to another church because that preacher's not feeding me. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not getting what I need. I'm going to go over here and see if I can find what I need. If you get off your hind end and get busy being alert and paying attention to the needs of other people, listening for what's going on in their lives, being sensitive to the hurts and the struggles and the disappointment and the brokenness that they're experiencing, and then doing everything in your power, including prayer and practical acts of blessing to them, you would find yourself so much more spiritually fulfilled Because the way to get full in your relationship with God is not to keep begging God to make you full or to send somebody along who can feed you. The way to get full is to start feeding somebody else. Sounds weird, but it's true. So, besides prayer, what else is involved in this Decision for order in our faith lives. It's what I call fireside discipleship. We have to keep dealing with it. And here's why. Fireside discipleship amounts to submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not just dabbling with religion. Not just going to church once in a while to hear a good message or to to be blessed in some way. Not just saying prayer over our meals and a short prayer at bedtime. 
It involves a real submission to His Lordship. It involves following Him wherever He's going and figuring out what it is He's doing and then being willing to jump in and play our part in whatever He's doing. That's fireside discipleship. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19 is a really, really revealing Scripture. He said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he says? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in response to that, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you, listen, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I meditated on that for a while. And it came down to a question for me. I think it's a worthy question for all of us. The question is this. Do I want the keys to the kingdom? Do I want the keys to the kingdom? Am I satisfied with going to church, worshiping a little bit with fellow believers on Sundays, coming out for a Bible study here and there, throwing a few dollars in the offering plate, and labeling myself as a Christian? Is that good enough? Well, it's good enough for some people. It's good enough for a lot of people. It's not good enough for me. As, as I heard somebody say a long time ago, if there's more, I want it, and why not? And there's more, y'all. There's a whole lot more. We are pretty committed to a radical journey with Jesus Christ, but there's way more than we've experienced. Do we want the keys to the kingdom? Because if we do, the requirement is total submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No compartments left that either I'm ruling as Lord or allowing someone or something to rule other than Him. I said something to Tracy one time that stuck with her. She brings it up once in a while. It's rare, but it does happen once in a while. I said, don't shake hands with the devil. Think about that. You see something, you know something, you know it's out of order. You know it's not God's plan. 
But you compromise and you allow it to happen. You compromise on your faith. You compromise your commitment. You go part of the way, but not all the way. And you shake hands with the devil and say, I make an agreement with you that you can rule at least part of this compartment of my life. It's really the whole premise behind our conversation about order that's going to go on for a few weeks now. Is are we submitting totally everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or are we shaking hands with the devil in certain areas and saying, okay, we're good, we've come this far, but we're willing to allow you to continue to rule over that. And by the way, and you know this already if you've been around here at all, if I'm ruling over it, it's the same as the devil ruling over it. There is no difference. You understand that the devil never ever tried to get a human being to worship him? You understand that, right? This whole business about Satan worship popped up in the 60s and 70s and all that. I get the principle behind it, but the devil's not trying to get us to worship him. Never has. All the devil's ever done is try to get us to believe in ourselves. To believe that we can be like God. To believe that we can be exalted to rule and reign over our own lives. That's all he wants from us. Because he knows that that will end in destruction. Because the best idea I can ever have is only good enough to kill me. And if I don't have a submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm headed for destruction. I want the keys to the kingdom. How about you? I'm going to sit with Him in order to obtain the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to listen to him in order to own the keys to the kingdom. We got a, yell, a lot of yelling and clamoring these days about binding and loosing and all that kind of stuff. And it's real, it's legitimate, but it doesn't happen the way people say it happens. It doesn't happen just because we have big, uh, loud, active worship times together. It doesn't happen just because we make a lot of noise and we scream at the devil. It only happens. When we say, Lord, I'm going to follow you up the hillside when everybody else has gone home. I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to allow you to explain to me what's in your heart that the masses do not understand. Which leads us to Mark chapter 4, verses 10 to 12 to finish up. When he was alone, this is it, y'all. This is it. You come to church on Sundays, that's good. Keep coming. I'm going to give you something, but I can't give you everything. Keep gathering with the believers. Keep doing a Bible study with other people. But when it boils down to it, if we're not doing this, we're cheating ourselves. When he was alone, the twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. We could stop right there 
and be satisfied for today and go home. There is so much in that one sentence that we need to know and embrace. When he was alone, there was a little handful of people. This is strange because I don't know where else you can get this. I only know a few places you can get this in church. When I come in here on Sundays and I see a small group like this right here, I get really excited. And, and you have a lot of the same ones that are here every week. And that says something really powerful to me. Because if you have a little group of people who are sold out, who want to sit by that fire, who want to know more about the stories that have been told, who want to dig in deeper, then you've got something. You see, this is after a big rally on the hillside with thousands of people. They've all gone home. And he's alone now with 12 followers and a few others that said, you know what, I'm not satisfied. There's more, and if there's more, I want it, and why not? And he's just told a story out on that hillside about a sower who's throwing seed and what happens to seed when it lands in various places. And they're sitting around the fire and they ask him, what about that story? We feel like there's a deeper meaning to that story and we want to know what it is. And here's his response. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. They're just hearing stories. They're just focused on the fluff. They're very excitable. You get a good vibe going in one of those services and everybody's excited. But do they understand the secrets? Are they embracing the mysteries? Are they digging in deeper? Are they living lives of order that are going to propel them into an understanding of God at levels that most people will never achieve? To those on the outside, everything's said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Keys to the kingdom. Secrets of the kingdom. Secrets out of the heart of God. Tad of my own testimony is that I grew up in church, walked away from it when I got out of high school, came back to it when I was in my late 20s, went into full-time ministry and was in my early 40s before I started sitting by the fire. I don't consider myself any better off having sat on the hillsides with the masses 
for a dozen or 15 years when I was in full-time ministry. I don't consider that any better than somebody who was battling a heroin addiction. To me, it's just as bad. It's just as bad to have an opportunity to move into the heart of God, to understand the mysteries, to have the keys placed in your hand, but to just be involved in status quo religion. It's just as bad to me, maybe not to you. But in my early 40s, I started to be rocked. It's like there's something more here than I've discovered, and I've got to make a decision. Either I'm going to dive into it and figure out what it is, or I'm walking away from it altogether because I am so dissatisfied with status quo religion and regular church that I cannot take it anymore. I can't take it. I can tell you without flinching today that if it was between being a total reprobate out there drinking and partying and hanging out with prostitutes right now, if it was between that and just being immersed in a regular church environment, I'd take the streets. Why? Because I've discovered there is so much more and I cannot be satisfied with the average. If there are kingdom secrets, God, tell them to us. If there are keys to the kingdom, God, lay them in our hands so that we can unlock the mysteries, so that we can truly bind on earth what's being bound in heaven and loose on earth what's being loosed in heaven. Order. Order. So it starts with faith. That's what we've dealt with today. Probably deal with it a little bit more next week. And then we're going to talk about family. And then we're going to talk about fitness. And then we're going to talk about finances. Pick which Sunday you want to skip. But I encourage you to be here for all of it. Because we don't want to be shaking hands with the devil in any of those areas, do we? You say, well, I don't have much money. and That's not the point. We'll get to that. You say, well, my family's jacked up. Well, then this is a perfect place to be and the perfect place to hear it. If your family wasn't jacked up, you'd probably be better off somewhere else. I love jacked up families because then we can watch God start to take brokenness yeah start picking up broken pieces and putting them back and you know what happens they end up better than they were before they were broken and it take all sorts of things and create great stories that turn people into light bulbs all out in the world yeah and fitness, yeah, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Because we, we need to make a decision, y'all, to stop dying before it's time for us to die. And that's all I'll say about that for now. You say, well, it's appointed unto man once to die, and whenever that time is, it's going to happen now. Uh, that's a total misunderstanding of, of the Word of God right there. 
you can kill yourself way earlier than you were supposed to die. And I'm not talking about putting a gun to yourself. I'm, I'm talking about lifestyle. Y'all good? Anybody mad? Anybody sad? Anybody happy? Anybody challenged? Well, that's it. If I've given you anything you can take out of here and keep rolling it around and dealing with it and worrying with it like a dog on a bone, go to the Scripture, seek out the heart of God, sit with Him, listen for His voice, have a conversation, keep pressing in, sitting by the fire, He's going to start opening up stuff in front of you that you didn't even know was there, right? Amen. Father, bless you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this great group of people, fireside disciples who are interested in the more. If there's more, we want it, and why not? Challenge our hearts, even after we leave here. Let it not stop here, but challenge us to meditate on it, to dig into your words, to figure out what you have to say about it. I pray that you would show up in phenomenal ways as we continue to commit ourselves to a lifestyle of order in the Spirit, prayerfully walking through our lives, paying attention to what's going on around us, relying on the great resource of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to do your work in us and through us individually as families and as a community. In Jesus' name, amen.